Welcome to Blind Shovel, an arts and music podcast. Today I have a talk with David Henri Anderson, gardener and fine artist. Enjoy. Hi, Michael. What's up, David? Not much. I'm just sitting around with my cat, Shrimpy. Shrimpy? Yeah. Is he um, prone to laying like a shrimp, or is he skinny? He's actually a big cat. He's a Flame Point Siamese cat. And uh, What's the, What is that? Oh, yeah, his name is Shrimpy, and he, his tail <laughs> looks like a shrimp. <laughs> yeah, I was just laying with my cat, Ego. Ego. Yeah, he's a good dude. Nice. He's like a dog kind of cat. Nice. You know what yeah. I'm talking about? Yeah, my cat likes to be held. Wow. That feature, my cat doesn't have that feature. So, good to meet you. Good we to meet interacted you. in the past, right? Um, I think like through internet stuff. Yeah, I think we did an online show. Back yeah. in the day. That sounds like that That might have been a thing. Yeah, artsy. Mm-hmm. Back when artsy, I don't know if that's still a thing. So it seems like since then, you keep doing your thing. <laughs> yeah. So that's what's that like? How's that been? So I guess I was always drawing and mark making since I was a child. Um, I have like my first drawing when I was three of like this blue guy that made out of circles who has like eyes and fists. <laughs> and um, I realized I've made a lot of my figures when I was a child with like spiralized fists to show that like their, their fingers are curled up. And um, I kept drawing throughout my life and then thought I'd be a musician and then realized I didn't, I wanted to keep music like a secret practice. And then I thought um, maybe I'll, I'll do art as like my study as my main whatever thing and um so i went to school for it and um after i went to school i decided to forget everything i learned and return to all the things i like to do as a child so i just keep doing that so that's well one i have to talk about the spiral hands because for some reason i've been drawing a lot of spiral hands Uh um but like a year ago i got very into spirals in general Mm-hmm. So what's your view on the spirals? Um, so for me, like, I started using it more and more in my compositions because I wanted to have, like, a, a geometric signifier of, or, like, a simple signifier of something that has, like, kind of a limitlessness or, like, an acti- activity, like it's whirling or something. So I kind of, like, it's like a stand-in for motion or for something that is, like, perhaps a portal or, like, perhaps an ongoing movement. Um, I'm not really into, like, painting a bunch of brushy things to to make a bunch of movement. So I was, I was interested in the spiral sort of accomplishing all that. Yeah, spiral gyres are underrated. 
Uh, spiral. To me, spirals are the most accurate description of life in mm-hmm. some way because if life does feel somehow repetitive, but clearly it's not a circle. It's not just the same thing over and over. Mm-hmm. But I do think you can either spiral upward or downward, and then mm-hmm. you, and then you just, well, you die. Yeah. But I suppose that might continue. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean by a gyre, like an eagle's G Y R E, the eagle flight path. That's like a basically a spiral, and then in another, you know, there's a vertical axis. Yeah, I didn't know that word. Um, but I know about like the kettle, which is something like that, I guess too. What's that? That's like when you see a bunch of hawks all together, like flying in a circle. Mm. It creates like an air sort of like. Um, air column called a kettle interesting yeah it's like have you ever read um uzumaki everyone keeps uh, recommending it to me and i kind of like keep avoiding it on purpose um because i'm like because i'm working so much with my spirals i feel like it will really like influence a mood about them because i know it's like a bunch of horror and a bunch of like negative trips on the spiral, which I'm into. Um, and I've toyed with myself, but I think I'm like, I'm going to get to that at some point. Yeah. That interests me. Like the, um, I don't know how to describe that. The artist's avoidance of things that might be down the line. I've talked to people who are just like, I won't look at that artist from the past too much because in some ways they've I might get pulled in by their their gravity. Mm-hmm. Or like maybe I'll discover that they did something I'm already trying to do and I'll lose momentum. I think that's interesting. Yeah, intentionally avoiding things that could uh, yours is a little different. You're you're saying it might put a spin on the spiral that is uh maybe not what you're going for. So, yeah, like, I'm basically, like, I don't want to be exclusive to what I take in. Like, I like to take in anything I can take in. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm currently focused on this, this type of spiralized being that um, is very much about seasons changing and looking after um, trees and certain fruits. So I'm trying to, like, take in a lot of information and sort of vibes and music and movies and things that sort of feed into that. Um, and of course, I take in other stuff like samurai movies and things that are unrelated. But like, so that's like my my sort of focus. But after actually after this, I do want to have a spiral of darkness and even possibly like a demon type of figure, maybe. And this um, Uzumaki, I think, would come right in handy for that. Like that that will has to be, I think, studied by me to make another painting. That would be yeah, awesome. I'm I'm curious what you'll think of it. It's um, it's it's a little ridiculous, sh- surely. Um, Do you find it to like saturate your mind? So when you like see a spiral after it, you can't help but think like, "Oh, this is gonna like do something." No, no, I don't think it had that big of an impact on me. I like a lot of Japanese manga well manga is japanese but mm-hmm. i didn't i don't love the horror aesthetic so much that it you know i know people have these tattoos of it and all these things but uh-huh. 
horror is a genre that slightly confuses me, even from a movie sense. Mm-hmm. Um, in that it didn't exist until life was good enough for it to mm-hmm. exist. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like a condition of being very comfortable. Yeah, that you would pay for a form of <laughs> to get scared. Uh, trauma or, yeah. or or drama. Totally. So uh no, I try I don't know. It's never clicked with me. I was never a goth kid or anything. Mm-hmm. But I was always into darkness. But that's not my brand of darkness, I would say. Yeah. What is your brand of darkness? <laughs> it's like an over-seriousness, maybe. It's like mm-hmm. a... Or no, a, say again? Possibly philosophy. Yeah, exactly. It's it's more... No, it's not over-seriousness because I'm rather goofy as well. I think it it's the belief that every damn thing means something. Mm-hmm. And there's no way to feel that way without it, it being heavy and dark sometimes you know like i was a broody teenager um even in terms of relationships because i really took them like seriously and i didn't understand the the frivolity that could occur within like a a quote-unquote intimate relationship in high school so it was so there was so much gravity to it um and i think you know when you make kind of mythologically inclined work that's usually how it goes you 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 believe there's meaning in there you know like Mm -hmm. clear symbols i don't know how to separate that from my life so totally i guess i'm like uh, in a jungian sense religiously inclined like i can't uh i can't really be casual about much Mm mm-hmm so I don't, I don't know if it's, it's not a negative disposition, but in this society, it certainly feels like a, it can feel like a, a dark one yeah. at times. And I feel like I, I sort of grew up feeling that way too. Cause I was like raised, raised religiously and like mm-hmm. all the consequences of, of sin and all that sort of thing. And then feeling like also like there needs to be perfection or purity and um, there's also so much imagery like bloodshed and sacrifice. And so, <laughs> so there's like so much imagery. Like if you have a very vivid imagination and you're like taking all this stuff seriously, it's like it gets really crazy, like transcendental. <laughs> and like, and God like sheds all this blood and then hugs you the next. And it's like very confusing and very can get really chaotic. It is deeply poetic for me now, but. Yeah. When my dweebish rational mind kicked in at like 12, it was, um, you know, I went through the whole, the, it, you become super dry with like, well, that doesn't make sense. You know, there's almost no sense of poetry, uh, but I've come to realize that Christianity has, uh, if we're, we may, I don't know if we're both speaking about Christianity, but there is a sense of, there's an incredible sense of poetry and surrealism that is grounded in humans and humanity in a way that's super subtle you know like i had the phase of also being into hinduism or something not in um practice but just in aesthetics like oh wow these gods are crazy because they're like uh or even greek greco-roman mythology it's like all these are half humans but i've come to appreciate although i don't make work like this i've come to appreciate the subtlety of grounding all that 
poetry in just humans, saints and people. Yeah, totally. And it's like, it's almost like the Marvel movies, but I feel like much better. It's just like, it's just ways to talk about archetypes and things that like are human, but transcend an actual individual. And um, so like I was raised, like my mom's Jewish, um, we're Sephardic Jewish, but she like is Messianic Jewish, so Christian. And so like we- Can you elaborate on that? I'm not sure I understand how that's, uh, I've heard of this, but I don't know enough about it. So- uh, can you explain both, just so I'm clear? Yeah. So Sephardic Jews are are not the Ashkenazi Jews, which are what most people know of, which are like Eastern European and European Jews. Yeah. We're like we're like the darker um, North African Spanish Jews. Um, so like my family's my mom's side is like rooted in Algeria, and mm-hmm. then my mom was uh, born in Paris, and then she moved to America and met my dad in art school in Florida. <laughs> and so my dad is like Christian. And so my mom had some kind of revelation that like the Jewish, um, like Old Testament and all the prophecies, like Christ is the fulfillment. And most Jews don't think that, like they think the Messiah still hasn't, hasn't come yet. Yeah. And so my mom sees the whole Bible in the Jewish context, which was the way I understood Christianity as like a Jewish thing. And for me, like people like William Blake and like Kabbalah and like esoteric, like stuff really helped me appreciate Christianity and Judaism as like this mystical search that these humans had. And, um, can I ask how is it? So if she believes that Jesus is the Messiah, mm-hmm. why, why isn't she then just Christian? She like is a Christian, mm-hmm. but what makes her messianic Christian or messianic Jew is that, she was Jewish by faith, and, like, our great-grandfather was a rabbi. Uh, and so it's, like, our Jewish heritage, and, like, it's, like, blood and uh, religion. But she, like, sees basically the Jewish um, tradition into the lens of Christ. So it kind of, like, she sees both. Yeah, it's more like what's your primary—it's, like, foreground background in some ways, right? So her— <laughs> It would be a, her lens is from the Old Testament perspective as opposed yeah. to the other way around. Okay. Yeah. And because, like, Jesus was a Jew also. Right, right. It's a thing for a lot of Christians. Like, they don't really, I think, know a lot about Jewish culture to understand, like, why someone had to die or, like, why all this blood is necessary. So it's like there's all these political and, like, cultural reasons why there's all these crazy images and all these things had to happen. And it's all Jewish. Yeah. Yeah, I've never quite understood. There's like this weird parsing out of what, like the idea that the Jews killed Jesus. I don't even really, I can't even quite grasp what that means. Like you said, he is Jewish. Uh Um, There's the Roman aspect. I guess they're talking about the Pharisee in that equation. Although I'm, I'm like not that well versed in all that, honestly. Yeah, so basically like Jesus... There's a lot of other people like Jesus and Jesus's time, and mm-hmm. they're at a point where the Jews are so like fed up being occupied by the Romans that there's all sorts of like guys claiming to be the Son of God that were actually able to practice magic and do things. And so Jesus was actually not that um, unique compared to other uh, Jewish music, um, magicians, <laughs> but he like got a particular following and particular power that started making him kind of like 
able to stand up against the Jewish like leaders. And so he was like a heretic in their eyes. And so they didn't really want him to rise to power. So they had like the powers that were occupying the Romans, like kill him for them. So they didn't have to kill him. And so right, right, right. like it's political, like pettiness basically. But there's all, they're like all Jews, right? Most people yeah. in this equation are Jewish. It's just kind of this parsing out. So like, like for instance, people will tell me that I, I look Sephardic, which I take as a compliment. Yeah. Um, but I know that there's, yeah, there's this kind of, do you know why there's a division? Is that just simply geographical? Yeah, I think it's just like, I think it's geography and history, but um, there's also like tribes that everyone is is rooted to. And so I don't know, like that's, I'm still like researching all this stuff and it feels like it'll be endless research probably. But um, yeah, I'm still like, trying to like understand more of this i'm even trying to like learn hebrew if i can or just at least copy it that's cool it's a very beautiful beautiful um just aesthetically it just yeah. looks really beautiful that I mean, arabic is beautiful mm-hmm. uh, yeah i was shocked when i went to uh, hagia sophia mm, that would be amazing it was um yeah it's just such it's it's all very fascinating honestly um because yeah. there are depictions of humans in there, but mm. it's only because of this Christian influence, this particular moment. I forget the exact reason. But, you know, otherwise you don't depict humans in yeah. Islam, which I actually understand the logic of that. You know, it's, this... Uh, because of the verse, right? Like, no graven image. Yeah, it's like a... You can see how it... And this even confuses me at... It, is it wrong if you worship a statue of Mary as if she's a god? Yeah. <laughs> there's, like, there's so many funny games going on, especially like Renaissance, like pagan, kind of like sexual, and then the nudity. Oh. Um, you know, I, I come from this stance that it's a, it's a, maybe it's an odd stance, but that people underestimate how deep the roots of your initial upbringing are so like i'm Mm -hmm. to me i'm roman catholic you know i was raised roman catholic Mm -hmm. um i did the whole let me get into alan watts and zen and and then i found that those Mm -hmm. things were just superficial reactions to the root symbols structure i have and Mm -hmm. so it's not a question of faith per se for me it's just like it is what it is like a Mm -hmm. i think modern people have an illusion about how much choice they have especially in respect to um, well, everything, um, mm-hmm. like what can work for them, diet, um, belief structures. Like, I just think it's fundamentally impossible for me to comprehend anything born in the East without having any sense of like growing within that, yeah. uh, world. It's almost a form of, if I'm going hyperbolic, it's arrogance. Um, yeah. that might be too, too cynical, but I, I think for me, it's just like, this is the symbol. And Young is also, like you had mentioned, help me understand this. Like, this is just what I have to work with. And we can all get to the same place in some sense um, with those symbol structures, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, I think it's worth it for everyone to try to like study everything that they can and see like what sticks for them and then what way they can apply it in their own way. It's just kind of like when you learn anything in art or anything at all, like you have to sort of make it your own at some point for it to like be really meaningful and powerful. 
And so I feel like I, I was also interested in like Buddhism and Taoism and Shintoism, but like I don't have like a community or a culture to like share it with anyway. So it can't really like flourish much beyond like a very private practice. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's that's another thing I get into with people. Like I started going to church again and frankly I think American church is really aesthetically bankrupt in almost every way. Yeah. And <laughs> This is really hard for me because that's aesthetics are the way I go into things first and foremost. Yeah. Um, but I also question the ceiling that um, individual practice can bring. Like um, as social creatures, I think it's important to go to a social place of ritual. Um, because again, I, I think there's... I just don't think you can get as far on your own in isolation hermetically, like just sealed away. But yeah, I don't know if you had this issue as well, but if I go to a church in Europe, there's age, there's materials that kind yeah. of resonate. I go here, there's, there's just something missing and it creates a block, a really real block for me. Yeah. I think I feel that and felt that um, in America because, yeah, since like I have family in France, I've been in the cathedrals. And I think sometimes maybe the reason why some people are really interested in Catholicism is because it still has a lot of those crazy like cathedrals and stained glass and just like Latin and rituals. But um, for me, I also need it to feel like everyone in the congregation is important and can speak and like everyone can do something. And so I was interested in like the Quakers for that reason. Right. And, um, but like altogether for me, I just found organized religion to be very rigid, beautiful, but rigid. And so I found that like going to art shows and going to music shows are like how I sort of have that sort of feeling of community and congregation because it's like the aesthetics are high and like the people are like vibrating and, um, I don't know. And, and then afterwards you just like talk about everything. Yeah. So I just yeah. like, I have like a hard time, I guess, finding something that feels, um, yeah, like that it meets all those things. And I don't like to think about all that stuff either. I think I just like find it piece by piece throughout my, my days. And, um, yeah, yeah. I don't think for me it's the rigidity per se, it's the um, overemphasis or the de emphasis of the mystery of, hmm. um, faith. Because I think mystery, the great mystery, is a harder sell, largely. Mm -hmm. um, like, if you're thinking about it from an advertising perspective, it's a lot easier to kind of sell answers mm -hmm. to to someone. And yeah. that tends to be my problem, where, like, if you look at more esoteric stuff, you can get back the poetry. Mm -hmm. Um but I have, it has been cool to have like a priest to talk to. It's been a long time. I went to Catholic school, so I did have some cool moments of that kind of interaction. But um, I feel like in Judaism, there there's much more of like going to talk to the rabbi. Totally. Yeah. And I, I sometimes think about that. I was like, should I start going to synagogue again? But I also have this like feeling of like, I'm totally so far away from the the like traditions and the orthodoxy of it that like, I feel like I could be just outright offensive. 
<laughs> like, oh I yeah, 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 yeah. I've had that. Rules. <laughs> and um, yeah, whenever I go to New York, I definitely get like looked at, and and I'm like, I, I feel bad that I like I've been a bad Jew, you know. I can't. I've never really attended any of the stuff I'm supposed to attend. And I even got asked to um, help design an arc for a synagogue in Nashville. And I got fired from that. Um, Why? Um, it was a very conservative synagogue. And um, the ideas I had were all like pushing stuff, like pushing boundaries and pushing materials. Because I wanted right. it to be great. And the team I was working with, they like, it was a gallery, art gallery slash architecture firm. So they're into my work. But it was like the committee and the synagogue that I couldn't went over and um i was like kind of going through a salty phase where i wasn't trying to be like too i don't know cute or whatever so i i don't know it didn't <laughs> they got someone else and and they got someone to make it almost very similar to what it already was and i'm like this is lame yeah that's a shame i love like my favorite thing by matisse who i i don't love frankly um but is his church yeah. and all the vestments and um, I love that. There's some crazy churches, beautiful churches that push the boundaries. And it seems like that's even the Renaissance as a period is this very weird union, mm -hmm. uh, man mannerism largely of just like, I don't know how to put it. These, these two things you don't expect to be together maybe. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of like one of my favorite artists right now is probably Andre Rublev. Um, have you looked at his work much? I know the name. It's a beautiful name. Um, yeah. He's like a Russian, Russian uh, 15th century oh, yes. icon painter. Um, Orthodox, I assume? I think so. Like He was sainted um, or canonized. Oh, it's, I only know of it because there's a Tarkovsky film about it. Yeah, him. which is all like, yeah, the paintings at the end, those are all like real and amazing and... Um, but yeah, the Tarkovsky film is amazing. And then you go look at Andrei Rublev's paintings online or you go to Russia if you can and go to the museum. Probably not a good time. But um, his paintings to me are like so transcendental and like just so lush and like also so it, it's not really like how they were originally. But like the the battering from like the the Tartars sacking the cathedrals makes sure. it even cooler looking to me. Like it's just like they all look like miracles. Yeah, there's something, you know, it's funny when you're young, you're like, um, and it's it's this weird fallacy we carry when we, this weird belief that people of the past were somehow like deeply stunted in every facet, including a painting or aesthetics, and that like they're not making decisions or choices. Um to do to paint the way they're painting they just simply don't have like the technology or information to do the thing they should be doing so whether that's perspectival or whatever um now as i'm saying it it sounds weird because they don't they literally in some ways don't have that feature unlocked it seems um but i don't know if it diminishes their their ability to make a beautiful thing I watched like a video one time on Byzantine art and like the, why they're flat. And, and I, they were saying that like the reason they flattened out the perspective and had everything kind of look that way is because they, they're thinking of the viewer as being like the 3D world. 
and having mm -hmm. a vision appear to them all at once and you could see it like a complete vision and so like if you wanted to say something was was like behind you just make it up like you just tilt it up and like it's just like this idea that the viewer is the 3d-ness and the the painting is the full yeah like plane and i actually, uh, yeah, yeah yeah i took that and ran with it for me because i was like i was into like japanese prints and cartoons and all all things flat cave paintings and i just think like if you can make that flatness feel like more than that that's to me like more interesting than fooling someone into thinking it's real because it's obviously not real and it's like i don't know i think it's the painting will always be a flat surface like it's just what it is so i feel like it's to me it's more truthful to work from that angle than to try to like render perspective yeah it reminds me of this idea that well it makes sense right like there's something really i don't know how to word this but, but perspective is it desacralizes the space Mm -hmm. Because it, it brings it into this kind of uh, world of depth and distance that's very mundane, you know? Like, I've always loved flat, like like you're saying, flat symbols. Um, now, in respect to honesty, there's always this funny debate of what's honest, you know? Like, I think color field paintings are just garbage, uh, largely. Um <laughs> but they were supposedly very honest. <laughs> so I, mm -hmm. I guess the truth is, you know, this idea like uh, paint is paint, the canvas is the canvas. Like this is regression to me um, because it's so, I guess you could think of it like you could tell someone the truth in so many different ways, but yeah. saying, saying it as a robot, telling them a fact is not even close in some ways to the truth. And like, what is the truth without like a context or without like something to compare it to i feel like that's that's what makes it hard is like it might have felt really true in the cold war time but now it doesn't feel very true or something or, or i don't know and so there's some paintings that i guess like everyone has gone crazy for jackson pollock and i don't know like today i don't know there's like a few old jackson pollocks that are maybe interesting but like i don't know it's maybe it's all really subjective but I think to have like something feel truthful or honest in a in a painting is hard hard to like have be an objective thing but I think is more is achievable in some kind of way that um I don't know it's like you kind of you can't really say it's like a visceral sort of thing yeah because it's tied into the very existence of being a human and I think that's what they forgot they're overly intellectualizing the process which is the problem with a lot of art school shit yeah. now and what it it kind of um it's a dehumanizing process and um it's just i always say like when all the institutions fall and you just have paintings laying around you know in rubble it's going to be very obvious what the ob kind of objective qualities of art are mm -hmm. and I also like to think about like a alien, not like a specific, like a gray, but I mean, mm. you know, just a person without any prior notions. I just think they would see a Pollock and they'd be like, that's okay. Yeah. And they would see, 
I do think they would look at Renaissance stuff and be. Like, I always I try to think about Renaissance, people seeing Renaissance paintings. Uh, you know, people with like harsh living conditions and mm-hmm. no TV and nothing like this, and they're seeing those paintings. It's or sculptures. There's uh, Bernini sculptures that are like, I just they're unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even sure I love them from the perspective of I love them from the perspective of human achievement almost. Yeah, I think that way about Dutch Baroque paintings. Like sure. When I saw some of those in person for the first time, I was just like, I totally was falling for these portraits and still lifes. And I, I don't know. I mean, I know why. It's just like they're exquisitely painted. And it's like, it's like if you saw that in real life, I don't know if you would like fall in love. <laughs> but the painting of it is just like amazing. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I love the, I love thinking about having like a perspective. Like for me, it's like, I think about painting, like, if I make this painting, I might not sell it, and I might be stuck with it for the rest of my life. So I want to make something that I want to be stuck with for the rest of my life. Mm. And that's usually what I try to do on on most occasions, if I can, on every occasion. And um, it's like, what's the point? You know, what else do you want to make? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I I think there's something very reasonable about that i like reasonable things as well in the sense of mm-hmm. uh, it's not all poetry all the time sometimes it's just like do i want to deal with this thing laying around can i live with it hanging in my house do you have a lot of your own work hanging in your house oh yeah, i have tons of my paintings um <clears throat> i especially like i left a gallery in 2021 and took all my work back so i'm actually like my studio is like saturated with my own work and um I've kind of like, I've really taken to people like Albert Pinkham Ryder and Myron Stout who just take forever to work on their work and try not to like get rid of their work. And um, I make stuff that like now that like I of course want to show and have shows with, but I have some work that is like for me becoming more and more personal and more and more sacred. And I'm starting to not be able to imagine to even like sell them and maybe not even show them. I'm not even sure. But yeah, this is a starting to creep Difficult dynamic. For me, I guess the resolution was design. You know, I don't think I could have got, you know, speaking personally, I don't think I could have got to a certain level of maturity operating in a kind of fine art self-expression mode. I had to do something that could meet society, a society mm-hmm. that I'm often frustrated with yeah. in a in a more human and practical way uh-huh. and so i don't envy the uh that conundrum which can feel like a schism just like a split but did you do you live off of your paintings yeah i've been fortunate enough to be living off of them since 2020 um like i was kind of like having off and on since 2018 with with like living on it and having like a part-time job Mm-hmm. And then when quarantine happened, my part-time jobs just sort of all fell away. I had like three of them. And then people just started out of the kindness of their hearts, just like buying work from me out of my studio and didn't have any shows. So I just like did whatever I could. And um, then I got like other commissions and curatorial projects and things have just like kept going since then. And uh, so yeah, for three years, I've been just full-time in the studio 
and I've kind of like started out with something that I knew was kind of like people liked and was getting asked for more, but I didn't want to just keep doing it because people wanted it. So I like said no and started doing my own thing. And from that also experienced more like things I didn't expect, like not selling work and getting work back and then leaving galleries. And so I'm kind of, what does it mean? You mean to you're represented and then you decide to walk away? Yeah. So I had like something going and then it just like started becoming more and more commercial and less like supportive of my visions and what I want to make. And so I decided like that pressure was kind of not helping me and I have to figure out some, some other way to make money. Can and you speak, can you speak to what that means specifically? Cause part of the podcast, I want younger people who are considering to be different types of artists to fully grasp what it means to, you know, be represented by a gallery. So did they make specific demands like we need more paintings like this one right here or we need more that are yellow or more yeah. bananas? Like, what does that sound like? What does that feel like? Yeah, so first of all, like all all the galleries I've worked with, um, except for like one, are all 50-50. And that actually like hurts a lot of the time <laughs> because it's like you just work your ass off and pour your heart and soul into something. And then sometimes the galleries like don't treat you with like enough communication and respect to where it feels like wow you get 50 percent of this thing i made yes and so like as a young person um i had a gallery in los angeles and a gallery in nashville and memphis want to work with me and i was only like 25 so i was like yeah i want to do that like that'll d definitely help me paint more so i said yes to all that and some of that went well and some of it didn't go like i thought it would but it was still enough to keep going but as things kept going like yeah, like they'd, they'd be like, make it bigger and, and more of the apples or something. And I like, I would try things and see what I, I could do with that kind of demand and see like what intuitively worked. But like to a certain point, I like, I couldn't have someone sort of like in my head about basically anything. <laughs> like, I don't know if that makes me really stubborn, but like, as I move forward, like I didn't get here because someone was telling me what to do. Like I, I was just doing what I intuitively wanted to do. And the more I like am able to be in my studio and be an artist, the less I want to like do things that are asked of me and the more I want to like explore this mystical, imaginative, edge pushing thing because a science or like you wanna just like see what else is new, like what where else can I take this? And I'm not really interested in galleries that are trying to like cut me short somewhere, pigeonhole me somewhere and make that the brand or whatever. Yeah, you know, having run a gallery for three years, like, I started to understand why that behavior occurs, and I completely understand both sides of that, mm -hmm. um, because effectively they are branding someone. Mm -hmm. You know, like, the investors want a reliable stock that behaves in a non-volatile way, and the gallery wants to make sure if they ship a bunch of crap out here and store it and yada, 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 like, that it actually is going to be able to survive and get a return on that. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I don't think, I mean, I, you also run a gallery, right? Yeah. But it's like not, we're not making sales or anything. It's mostly like a, a project space. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I learned quickly that like, it's probably more of how I operated and how, sh how I should operate, but 
that I don't know if an artist run gallery is prone to success because they almost understand the artist side too much. (laughs) And, and a business person, um, they don't. And that might be a good thing in some weird way that Mm -hmm. they're just kind of there to do their thing. Um, but yeah, there's all sorts of, well, the world is comprised of compromise. So it's just like, I think it's helpful for younger people to hear that, you know? Um, yeah. And when it comes to merit based shit, I found that illustration was probably the closest because no one gave a shit where you went to school. If you went to school, it's just, are you a good fit for this assignment? No one ever looks at credentials in that sense but fine art is littered with it because again people fear the great mystery and in this instance the great mystery is is this good or bad art and then well we might as well go to the tangibles so did they go to yale or not yeah and this is this is the the comfort you know yeah and i'm I'm finding myself actually like so now i've i've seen myself as like i've stepped away from my first gallery experiences and now i'm actually I've done like a year of, of being on my own and now I'm ready to like be signed by somebody else if possible. But my, my eye now is on them understanding this kind of like relationship I have with my practice. And I also find myself showing with a lot more galleries that show like outsider artists and folk artists and anonymous artists. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like really identify with outsider artists being an artist from Tennessee and like those are kind of the people I looked at the most. Like I grew up around Howard Finsters and most Tolliver's in people's houses. And um, I always sort of like love that sort of world of art because it's just like totally raw. But like I went to the Outsider Art Fair this year and I like, I just don't like art fairs. They're just like exploitiveness of raw creative energy. Like I do want to like have a living, but like there's this crazy like fine line <laughs> of like, trying to live in the wild as an artist, but also trying not to like compromise the vision just to keep the living going. Yeah. I've spent a lot of my life trying to understand if those should be two compartments or one. And, um, I don't have an answer. I have no idea Yeah, because you know, how much time does one have in a lifetime? Well, they need to make, they need time to, uh, hone their craft you know and most of the time people spend is doing their job or career so mm-hmm. it's a really hard trade-off when you do something else to make money and then you only have what two hours a day to work on it you know yeah i say like the best thing to do also is like if you have to work a job that is not exactly what you want like try to do something that feeds what you're interested in like i did art handling for years and I was always around art and like touching art and making connections with curators and other art people. And so like these kinds of things also like helped my practice. And I also did illustration and freelance stuff like that. And I taught kids art and all that stuff kept my art gears turning, even though I wasn't in the studio and that sort of stuff, like really still fed my practice without sucking away. Like I'm still using my time and energy, but like, I'm getting paid for something and I'm also like keeping inspiration going somehow. And I think if you can do yeah. that, it's pretty healthy. Yeah. It's, um, it's a rare few who can pull it off. I think having kids, I think would make it much more difficult. <laughs> That's something I don't plan on doing. 
Yeah, that's something I often ask. I like to interview people with kids because I intend to have kids. And uh, I believe in a kind of, well, it's interesting, you know, like if you go back, I don't think they can, I don't think they're processes that they, they certainly share aspects. They're generative, they're creative, art making and, and making children, child rearing. But I don't think that they, how do I word this? I used to think maybe I could make enough art for enough time where it would kind of replace the act of parenting. You know, be like, I'll get my fix because I make things every day. So why do I need to make a kid? Make a human. Yeah, because most I think most people, that's probably a fucking, that's unique, right? Like if mm-hmm. they don't make things, this is a crazy thing to do. Like, oh, wow, I get to craft something. Yeah. Um, but more and more, I, I try to be respectful of the kind of the differences. And just in, in like you were saying, like, I totally understand that religious. Actually, I'll say like this ecstasy that one can feel in a mosh pit or at a. Mm-hmm music show or for me at a sporting event it's a similar thing um but they're not the same as it's not the same as religious um participation and ecstasy which i don't know if i've ever felt i just think they're they're probably quite different in some sense um i kind of envy the when i see see images or videos of that kind of thing I don't know if that makes sense. I just think there's like to each their own in some way, you know? Yeah. I think everyone has like this sort of, um, I guess like path or this, this way of, of living and being that, um, is their way of fulfilling themselves. And I think like, um, whatever like it is that you feel really like inclined to, that's what you should do. Cause then you can really do it with all your heart. And, I just I think it's just um a shame when people like get into like marriages or religions or have children and they don't really want to <laughs> and they do it anyways. I feel like that's just the only danger in life is to end up doing that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's no going back. It's not like you quit a job or uh it's a tr- it's a it's the truest leap of faith in some ways. Mhm. Like kids are just wow. Yeah. <laughs> We're not used to that in this world of consumption and disposability. This thing that is just here now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like for, forever it's, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You end or until they end and it's like, wow. <laughs> I guess like, that's what attracts me. It's like that's so surreal. Yeah. You know? And I feel like the fact that you're interested in that is that's like that means that you're capable in some way, you know? Maybe, you know, I have a kind of strange, I don't know if it's not a, I have like a, you know, in some ways you're saying that for you, what works is this following of the heart. And um, for me, I'm like often interested in a thing that one scares me, but two, I question if I can handle in some sense like a form of self-denial. Like if I, if I see a weakness there, I kind of want to push on that. And, and, uh, in some ways I want to kind of challenge my self centeredness that art often fosters Mm -hmm. by 
by, you know, making someone more important than me. Now it could crush me. It could destroy me. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's the risk. Um, but I also have a, a very real sense of like morality and I don't think I could ever abandon, you know, or step away from that role either. Yeah. So I often find that, that a lot of beauty and poetry and those tensions, which I, I do think religion, at least Christianity is very good at depicting like this kind of this being torn in two almost. Yeah. And that makes me think about like the, the human condition of being like a spiritual being within a human body and like seeking the eternal and the transcendent, but also being subject to like hunger and thirst and time and all the, all the earthly pleasures and displeasures. Oh yeah. And I think like having a child um, in that sacrifice or self-sacrifice too, is like maybe also like this way to just like see yourself in a different light and, and that would probably change your art also. Yeah, and you know... It would affect it, at least in some way. Having interviewed... Uh, it really is the, one of the main interests I have on the podcast, is just understanding how do people manage, you know? And, mm -hmm. you know, one dude, Christopher Davison, is just like, yeah, I just wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and, and then I paint for three hours. And I do it with a kind of um, potency that is demanded of, of my life now. Mm -hmm. yeah, and there's a, something very beautiful about that too. Yeah. There's like a new urgency. Yeah. If you want to talk about meaning. Yeah. Uh, every <laughs> second. Yeah. I think people react to that meaning differently. For me, meaning is just like, uh, just got to keep throwing it on the back, you know, just keep loading it up. There's no way around it. Like I think I've tried to, I lived in California for about five years. And I think I tried to chill my way past it and it just whipped back on me. Meaning. It's just like, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I just, it's like, it can't be meaningless. No, I can't. Like I said, it's hard for me to be casual. So yeah. I tried to, I tried to deny that component. It didn't work. So for me, I think I find that the more I can just shovel on the better at this point. Yeah. I mean, I find meaning in, in nature, like, just the way that like a plant, like the way it looks is referring to like some kind of mixture of the soil and some kind of condition of the time and of, of the season. And so it's like it's oriented towards something. And um, the more you study it, the more you understand the environment around it also. And so I like I love how just like nature can really like teach us the way that meaning really exists, like in form, in color, in taste and in smell, like in all five of the senses. And, you know, like if you believe in like a creator and all that stuff too, it's just like, to me, that's like the, some of the script, like the raw script is in nature and in natural occurrences. And Absolutely. The more like in tune we get with that, the, the more we can sort of like understand meaning in a way that also doesn't make it as heavy. Like as a gardener, like you understand that death is like the freshest form of fertilizer or like something really good that you can feed something alive. And so, like, to zoom out and see life and death through, like, a perspective of a garden or plants or just, like, the cycle, you can start to, like, maybe handle handle personal things in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's why I think I'm drawn most to the eaten apple mm. uh, images you make. I like that there's the human imprint 
on the fruit. And then like this revealing of its uh, almost eternal interior. Yeah. I always found that idea very, also there's, I just love the story of Adam and Eve. So it's, um, it's just a potent thing to me. Yeah. When I came across that image for myself, I just like, of course I had to stay there for a while and meditate on it and see what all it means for myself. And it was funny because like, it was a big chapter of my life, almost like a debut or something when I, when I started making that painting and paintings of that nature. And it, it kind of got me on the search basically of like realizing one, I was like eating apples all the time, but like realizing that, yeah, like in this fruit is contained like all the, all the drama of, of humanity and eternity. <laughs> yeah. And just by seeing all that. And I basically, from that point on, or like maybe I've always been this way. I want to paint things that contain all that narrative. So, yeah. 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 No, I, I understand completely. I think lately I'm really drawn to the sun, though, as as that symbol. Yeah, yeah. I love putting a dot in the upper left-hand corner of something. Mm -hmm. I almost have to. Yeah. Either a moon or a sun. It, it feels weird when it's not there to me. Yeah, and it's it's great to have, like, a circle in a composition. It's just like this sort of, um, I don't know, it's a presence. Yeah. And I was also, I guess, just, like, studying more and more esoteric, meanings about the sun and like you know the son of god and like the the sun is our way of like seeing and feeling and having consciousness like in a literal way and um and it's like a source of light and painting and drawing is all dealing with the medium of light so i figure like i have like a paintings of like the sun as like a as like a heraldic sort of goddess or god and like with a big crown and i'm not quite done still just like painting and talking about the sun as this like deep symbol and um i guess what i was saying like in esoteric teachings there's some things that say that like all um benevolent souls that are like of transcendent nature they go to the sun and have come from the sun and they like emit both light and warmth but also actual spiritual um knowledge and truth and as humans like evolve we all we all get like actually updated through sun rays um spiritual hmm. like growth and stuff and that's why we just keep changing as people like with our ways of thinking and doing um and it's i like that idea it's exploring it more and yeah even in ancient hebrew kabbalah stuff there's like e each star is considered a sentient being and um each sort of race of people is considered comes from a star seed of some kind like the pleiadians or like um, other forms of stars that I have yet to study more. <laughs> Interesting. So all that stuff kind of plays into my viewpoints of nature right now and the way I try to depict and talk about it. I always felt that fruit was like the most convincing sign of God to me. Yeah. In its deliciousness and its um, health benefits. Yeah. I'm astounded by fruit. And it's beautiful looking too. Yeah. And it's like, to me, the banana is crazy because it has like a perfect wrapper also. It's like a perfect candy bar thing. It's yeah, it's like, strange. I can't believe this exists. Like, it looks amazing, tastes amazing. And then you can comp like, you compost the, the peel. It's like a perfect thing. Yeah, mangoes are incredible. Yeah. Uh, it just seems that in life, there's a kind of law of irony often where if something tastes good for you, it's bad for you, or vice versa. Mm -hmm. 
And like hard work makes you strong and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, or when you enjoy things, time moves fast. When you hate, when you suffer, yeah. it moves very. <laughs> but then there's, then there's fruit, and fruit feels so aligned to me in like this. It's like the the best gift. I totally agree, but I also have one more viewpoint on it too that to me is kind of potent. It has like a a point that is not ripe, and then it has a point that is ripe, and then it has a point that is overripe. And then after that, it just goes to seed, which is then a tree, which is a ton, and then back to, back to the individual fruits. And, and what does what does that mean to you? Just the fact that there's kind of a ephemeral nature to its peak. Well, there's like um, I feel like in all of life, there's all these phases. It's like there's there's the childhood, and then there's like the prime adult, like young adulthood, and then there's like the overripe, like you're starting to get old and then you just die and then your your legacy or your children or whatever just continues on and then your spirit like apples although they like rot and go away the idea of apples are never gone or like apples are here forever in some sense and um i don't know it's just like i think it's just like it's it's amazing how it's all contained in just like watching a fruit or like watching a banana from green to black just like yeah yeah it is <laughs> I don't know if you've read any Chesterton, but uh, G.K. Chesterton, he, uh, I, I don't know if I'm quoting it correctly, but he kind of talks about this, basically says like, this world is far closer to a fairy tale than anything else. That fairy tales are the closest description of reality. And one of the things he mentions is like, how is it that an apple tree even apples? Um, and what he means by this is like science is going to tell you like this is how it happens, mm -hmm. but he's also saying like, but but that loses the point that there exists. But like why? <laughs> yeah, or the surreal, just the surreal nature of it of any of it occurring, or yeah. what? Or yeah, I guess why in a sense? Um, why isn't it more basic? Like why isn't there just one fruit? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's just the. As I'm thinking about it, it's overwhelming in some ways. Just, yeah, I, I, do you know what he's trying to say in some sense? Like the rules of a fairy tale are closer to life in some way than anything else. Like, even when there's, like, there's often this one rule, you know, like you can have this, even in Adam and Eve, you can have all of this, but you can't do this one thing. And oftentimes in fairy tales, the one thing is like fairly arbitrary. Mm -hmm. Like you, you can, I don't know. There's something about that that feels accurate to me, uh -huh. uh, to life in some very odd way. I feel like maybe too, like if you could see your whole entire life from like start to finish, you might know what that one thing was. <laughs> you just like don't know right now <laughs> while we're. Yeah, that's kind of horrifying. Blindly going about what we think is our life. Yeah, and coming back to the idea of phases, this is why I think I want children too. Is like, I'm kind of haunted by this idea that every decade of your life should present itself with new problems, new fresh problems. And by that I mean, I find it kind of aesthetically displeasing when I'm talking to like a 35 year old and they, their concerns resemble me at 15. You know, it's like a, a date didn't go well on. I just cannot take um, another thing is like I've never used a dating app because mythologically I can't handle the 
the origin story. Like, I just, oh, yeah, yeah the, the, it can't go like that. <laughs> the aesthetics are just something's off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but um, I know just what you mean. You know, of course, life throws problems at you, so sometimes you don't need to um, self-impose them. But I, I'm afraid that by not doing these things, I although I love to make art, that I will just make art for. 60 years and and then die and um i know that's oversimplifying but more and more i'm trying to understand how art fits into life uh, i think in the past it was just like art art was a shield for me um from it from life i also might say that like what you said like make art for 60 years and die that sounds pretty good no it's, it's <laughs> i mean compared to most lives yeah it's, exactly it's top notch yeah it's not too bad <laughs> but but I, I do, yeah, think that, like, life and art, like, life is more important than art. But art, like, makes life kind of worth living or, like, makes you kind of, like, keep engaging with it in this sort of very curious and very passionate way that makes it kind of worth it. So, like, to me, like, I have to have both. Like, yeah. I have to have a community and I have to have relationships and those have to be healthy. And then I can make good art and then vice versa. But it's, like... I don't know if I'm just like deeply introverted, but like if I just spend way too much time with people and helping and doing all this stuff, although it's like, I know it's good and it makes me feel good. I also like, don't know, like, I, I don't know exactly where I'm at, like internally or like mm. psychically. And to me, like to make something proves where I'm at. Like it shows. Yeah, it grounds you. Yeah. It's like, this is where you're at. And I'm like, oh, okay. And if I don't do that, it kind of actually makes me go nuts. Like I actually, like, it's not good. And that's why, like, I do this, like, on a daily basis or as much as I can. I take every Sunday off, like, strictly, like, no Sundays. But, um, like... Oh, why is that? Because I actually realized, um, like, there's some things that are, like, Jewish in me, like, being kosher and and respecting the Sabbath. Like, my body literally, like, starts to do strange things if I don't take one day off completely. Like, it starts to break down in ways that I'm like, what the hell? You know, I ask because I've been considering it because I work way too much um and i don't make space for like there's i mean you have to take genesis very seriously and it's no no coincidence that he there's a day taken off you know just not doing shit today um that was a real thing like a myth and a real thing and an imposed so can you clarify for me i never understood this like is saturday jewish uh sabbath yeah, that's that's the typical Orthodox um, Sabbath, and I, so like I am not Orthodox. I'm like someone basically who knows that I'm Jewish, but doesn't also knows I'm not Orthodox. Okay. So I, I make Sunday my Sabbath because all the shows, art shows, always open on Sunday. <laughs> you know, it runs like any traditional Jews like art chances basically. Um, so I like typically you would like do everything like get all your meals ready on Friday night. So you don't have to make any meals on Sabbath on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And so I don't really do any of that. I just like, I like to get things ready on Saturday and whatever. And I just, Sunday is my day. Cause like everyone's going to church. And so I just like spend that day, like meditating or being in nature or just like uh, focusing on relationships or books or other things that are like really personal and kind of like feed the soul or the heart and, and aren't about gain or aren't about like my career. And I find that like, to have that day that's dedicated to that, 
gives me also like a lot of relief and from my like my work and from like I know it's coming like this is the day I do nothing and like I don't know it makes when I go back to painting or go back to work just feel like I don't know it just like has a healthy sense of like I know when it's going to start I know when it's going to stop and it, it makes my body sort of like know what to do yeah no and I curious just because i think i need to adopt that for several reasons i don't i don't like um and i don't know if this is what you're saying in some ways but there's this kind of way of viewing spiritual practices strictly from their utility and um like i'm trying to understand the nature of rest not in the not in just like a um oh this is a time to relax this is time off so that i can go back to work the next day monday um or like because you know you can get very mechanistic with things where it's like oh i do like yoga can be very for the westerners like this very mechanistic thing i think where it's it's often another form of working out uh which i think is missing something i think um just like and I can I fall into this too quickly. Like I'll, be, I, like I will argue, there's great utility to uh, believing in a god, believing in a superior thing. But I think yeah. speaking about the utility primarily, there's something off about that as well. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, to me, the utility is is still makes it like objectified and kind of empty. And so to me, it's like it's not utility; it's relationship. Like these things are relationships. And if you like treat it with the sort of warmth of a relationship, like with a person and you treat these sort of practices as like something kind of sacred or something that has to do with like this, this present moment and the person that you are, it's, it becomes more like meaningful in a way that's like, in my, in my very subjective way, like more spiritual, like, I don't know, to me, like spirit, I think about like the spirit of Christmas or having school spirit or whatever. And it just means that like, you're really in this mindset and like all the music and all the regalia and all the imagination and all the pageantry is for this thing that you like imagine. And um, right. basically I, this thought came to me that like I have a meditation practice every day and sometimes images come to me or sometimes phrases come to me. But something that came to me was like you're, the, the strength and the healthiness and the power of your God is strong and as healthy and powerful as your imagination is or as your mind is and uh, i was just thinking about that for a while i guess yeah imagination is interesting um creativity yeah this i've always tried to parse out like you know there's this idea that people want to increase creativity in children but there's something lacking in the the kind of semantics there for me, like because I've suffered the negative consequences of having an imagination, uh, you know, like paranoia or anxiety, like yeah. Um, and there's this great I don't know if you know about Gurdjieff, you know him? He's a mystic, very fascinating mystic. What's the name again? Gurdjieff. Uh, I don't know. I would rec- I would I would be curious what you think of him. Yeah. Um, G-U-R-D J let me make sure I get this right J-I-E-F-F yeah. he's just deeply fascinating 
Cool. Definitely. I'd love to know what you think. Um, check it out. He'll get into this weird kind of description of like negative um, imagination. I forget what the term he would use, but negative theosophy or theology. I'm not sure. He's kind of just, for me, I was reading it from the perspective of like, there's a great danger to uh, imagination and creativity when it's not kind of grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, it can cause all sorts of issues. And the fact, I think that's why religion is afraid of it sometimes. Yeah. You know? I, I agree with that. Um, but that's why like, to me, it's like all things need some sense of like tempering or balance, like balance should be the goal. Like if you just trying to take something to like, it's, utmost limits i feel like you're just asking for it you know like you're asking for the demise of that so like i actually am seeking for this like this sublime middle balance sustaining thing and sometimes that might be really boring and that's like the challenge for me sometimes is like sometimes the thing i'm seeking might be very very boring Hmm. that's interesting yeah maybe subtle you know not sensational it yeah. seems that the truth is very subtle. Love is very subtle. And if you're not tuned to it because you've been engaging in excessive hedonism or sensorial things, I, I think uh, it just goes right by you. You don't even notice it. It's some weird, again, ironic law. Like, no, 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 you have to be quiet. You have to be subtle. You have yeah. to be attentive. It's not, it's not entertainment. It's not loud, you know? Yeah. And I think about, like, how some of the most important things in the world, like air and water, are invisible and tasteless. And it's like, to me, like, that's the ultimate object and the ultimate aesthetic. But it's like, you can't really, like, celebrate it or look at it. <laughs> it's like, it's just, it's just, like, so ubiquitous, so you don't even have to, like, talk about it or think about it. I mean, in some ways, light, although it sounds backwards, yeah. is, is kind of... Definitely that part, too. It's like, light is the ultimate art you know i mean light is there's a reason light is like the the thing of the the bible yeah it's always like used for spiritual description and for embodiment because yeah it's like this ephemeral and pure and it's consciousness but it's like i guess what i mean about that though is like these things to me are, are like components and directions of like what is considered good or amazing but then how do we humans like respond to that? That's the part that I think is the challenge. Oh, of course, because as you were saying, we're kind of, we're caught in between two worlds, mm-hmm. you know, in this body. And each religion's orientation towards the body or different sex is very interesting to me. It's like, mm-hmm. I guess that's what I find so admirable about the humanism of Christianity where it's, it really is just like caught in that body mm-hmm. in, in a very interesting way. Again, I don't really make art that is like so focused on human bodies per se. Um, but I value that. Yeah. I, my thing about Christianity sometimes is that um, it has a lot of books left out of it that are pretty amazing. Like the gospel of, of Mary Yes, I've heard it. I just recently was looking into all these lost books. Yeah, and then along with, like, these lost, like, sort of really amazing philosophies and understandings are also just, like, a a lack of, like, talking about 
nature and how to be a good steward of, of nature and creation. Cause I just, I guess a critique I have of contemporary Christian culture is that like, I see just a lot of capitalism and not a lot of like care for, for actual nature and for actual like humans rights and, and things like that. And if, I know of course there are some good people of all religions doing things for this and, and people of all religions doing things against it. But I just like, I find this stuff to be very, um, of importance, I guess, for it, and also like based on some of the, the texts, also. Yeah, I mean, it's just very interesting what gets filtered, because mm-hmm. it's fucking. It's like might as well be the internet, the Bible, in terms yeah. of early. Totally. Yeah. So it's it's just so hard to. Uh, I mean, the criticisms of, of religion I hear and have heard for a long time are just like, okay, I get it, but this thing is, <laughs> this this book. All three books, you know, uh, I don't think people understand how very, very weird that is that how sacred those texts are to have survived this long, to have this much influence, to have this much complexity. It's so weird to me. Yeah. And it's (laughs) It's, like, I think everyone should study that (laughs) because it's like, it's very influential, by the way. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's everything you swim in. It's the whole ocean. You need to know what the water is, like what we're all breathing. Yeah, there's no escape. That's kind of what I realized at some point. Yeah. It's like, oh, I can even, I don't even know what it means to be an atheist in this context. Uh, it's yeah. just like reactive because I'm just in it. And, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's shocking. Like, yeah, to me, I, I figure like, how do I just reconcile now at this point into something that is a workable relationship and identity? And I, yeah, I yeah, I, I like, yeah, yeah. Relationship makes sense, totally. Yeah, and like for me, like I, if I'm to have a label, I guess I like to think of myself. More recently, I thought like, oh, I guess I would just call myself like a Gnostic, because I'm someone that like has had too much experience with so-called spiritual phenomena that like I just, I just, I'm beyond believing in it. I've, I've interacted with, it. I've talked to it. I've, I've had like deep experience with it. And it like goes into my art and it goes into my lifestyle and it goes into my practices, but it doesn't like limit me to a particular book. Mm. So I, I like, I have like, I have lots of different ways of, of thinking about different deities and different figures in history and in spirituality. And none of it goes against their texts or their truth either. Like it's all still respected in the way I view it. And I don't use them either. They're relationships. And sometimes, like, Christ is really present in my mind or in my meditations. Or sometimes it's Shiva or Krishna. And sometimes it's just, like, some meditating guy I don't know. And sometimes <laughs> it's even, like, a demon that wants to, like, eat. All I was going to say. Yeah, there's demons out there, too. Yeah, I've talked to a demon before, and it was, like, threatening to, like, eat me or do something to me. And I told it to eat my filth. And it happily, like, swirled around me. And like exfoliated my impurities, and it felt pretty good actually. I was like, "That's good." <laughs> that just happened one day. You were walking down the street, and no, I was meditating, and Interesting. Um, like started to see like this sort of blue, like in the darkness of my meditation, started to see like this blue figure emerge that had a third eye, but like seemed kind of mischievous and demonic, um, based on paintings I've seen. But like, didn't look like a painting I've ever seen, but like similar, I guess. And um, it also wouldn't, like, stop interacting with me. Like, I wanted to look past it, but I couldn't. That's fascinating. 
and uh, yeah, stuff like that has happened in more than more than once and in different forms. And I don't like I'm not asking for it. I'm trying to like mind my own business and clear my mind and stuff, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it it's it's present. Yeah. It's hidden in some way. Yeah, and it could be like in my psyche projecting out or something. But either way, it's it's like something that is happening in the present. <laughs> like whether you like it or not, just like a dream. Oh, it's certainly real. Yeah. I mean, also, I don't even know what it means for your psyche. Like, if you really get into that, it's like, I'm pretty sure this isn't my body and it isn't my, in the sense that I didn't create it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's my mind. I have some will. But in terms of what emerges or is sent down or sent out, I don't even know how to reconcile with that. Yeah. You know, like, uh, this kind of ownership over... I guess that really changed the, the way I view things when I realized like, oh, this isn't my body and I can't, nor can I make the rules for morality because it's, it's almost like, you know, if I could make the rules for my own morality, I could probably get away with all sorts of shit, but mm -hmm. um, it's very evident to me that I can't, you know, that I wasn't going to be able to just like, like, um, you know, do topics of morality and just pick, oh, I like that aspect and this aspect, but mm -hmm. that there were some kind of things at play that were beyond my um, customization, you might say. Yeah. I guess also to me, I think about um, on the subject of morality, almost in terms of, of music or improvisation, like something can be reconciled or it can be left as a mistake or as bad. And, um, I guess, like, I heard one time, like, Herbie Hancock and Miles Davis are playing music together, and Her Herbie Hancock is pretty young, and he, like, fucks up, and he plays the wrong note right when it's, like, his solo, but then immediately Miles Davis plays a fifth on top of that wrong note and makes it right, and then continues the jam, and then, like, Herbie Hancock's like, oh, my God. He, like, yes, 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 this idea. Totally made that into, like, something workable, and it's, like, through time, there's, like, horrible disasters or, like, murders or horrible stuff that then creates awareness of like how to not do that again or something and it's like the vast scope of morality is like it's hard to know like who should live or die for like what should happen you know and i think that's a, it makes me think of redemption and why i think it's so important because in a, in a sense he redeems that that false or that wrong note quote unquote yeah and it allows Almost like forgiveness. It allows... Yeah. Uh, but he has imagination and skill and compassion to play that right, to make it right also. Like if he was, if Miles Davis wasn't so experienced or imaginative, he would have either called it wrong and ended the whole session or just like not know what to do because it's not in the composition. But because he's so creative and so like loves what's going on with the music, he makes it right and then keeps it going. Mm-mm-mm. So it's like, it's not so simple, but it's also, it is in a way. Um, Can you speak more to your, so you said that music is your secret uh, kind of, I don't know what you, I forget what you said, that it's kind of like uh, you were going to pursue art and then on the, you were going to keep music kind of hidden. Yeah, it's like my secret practice. Secret practice. So I guess for me, it's kind of like a spiritual barometer or like either way to like let out things that might be like chaotic and messy and just maybe even ugly and bad 
or it's just a way for me to like see like how centered and present I am because it's just like to play music with others or to play music on with myself it's just it's just emptiness and air and then everything you touch and do is the music so I I can like really like get a read for like what I sound like or or how I'm able yeah to like deal with what I think of as wrong notes or wrong things and I, I don't find I find painting to be similar to that, but it's much slower and it's not, it's like a much more deliberate thing, ritualistic. So it's, those two are different. Do you ever imagine those polarities flipping in which you pursue music as a career and then the art becomes hidden? Um, I actually was starting to think about it today because I was actually, while I was painting, I was listening back to some things I made when I was a teenager and I realized it was like pretty well made, but just not what I'm into anymore. And I was realizing, like, at the time we were, our band was, like, pretty, doing pretty well and, and, like, getting more and more popular. And that scared me. Like, I didn't want to be locked into, like, a genre or, like, locked into, like, performing something that people wanted to hear over and over again. And so there's, like, a part of me that, like, doesn't want to, like, serve, like, mass appeal or, like, I don't know. There's something in me that is really averted to almost, like, being accepted or yeah yeah this is an artist thing i think it's every every podcast we get into this um and i think it's part of the hard thing like even when i'm talking about going to church it's like it's hard to know i think the truth is if maybe if we zoom out like maybe everyone feels this in some sense that they or on the outside of something, maybe there's a fundamental loneliness mm-hmm. to existing. But there's something about artists that do feel like they're de, like demagnetized in the sense of just like they want to push out from the center. They don't want to be sucked into the middle. There's some kind of like calcification in the middle, categorically speaking, where yeah. sudden suddenly you are that thing. Um, like I assume you don't think of yourself as like a Jewish artist, you know. Like yeah. you want to kind of resist the just being a stone, you know, and like, I don't know if you about like get into like a Rudolf Steiner and oh, this yeah. kind of a calcifying spirit. Um, oh, yeah. it makes complete sense that you would be in the Steiner. Yeah, I really like him, but I, I used to listen to his lectures constantly for like a year. And then after taking in so much of him, I'm like, I got to take a break because I feel like I can't have like a conversation with someone and relate to them. <laughs> Um, he's, but that's yeah, he's, that's he's a trip. yeah, but I've definitely had some amazing conversations with other esoteric people. But um, yeah, like I, I think of myself as someone that happens to be Jewish and like French and American, but I don't like use that as my content. But I also know that it's subconsciously always going to be my content in some kind of way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, the reason I mentioned that specifically is like, I guess you could do that. And the work would look like I used to go to this gallery in Philadelphia that was a Jewish gallery uh-huh. and, and the work was like explicitly Jewish. And um, frankly, they had these incredible brownies that they would give people. <laughs> this is why I ended up there. But it was interesting to see like. I just I'm very uninterested in that kind of. Um, like. I don't know how to, I guess you could say it's a branding thing, but it, yeah. it's it's not that. It is something else psychologically happening. It's just, I think it's work to signify to other people that we're in the same thing together. 
and uh, there's something off-putting maybe i like singular vision i've always loved like so that's that person you know mm-hmm. new nude individualism like, well yeah like i think about this quite a bit like i love rugged individualism but when you become over wrapped up in it consumed by it like there's a huge downside too so yeah but it's about maintaining the egg integrity of your spirit as and there's no contradiction for me here like as a part of a larger thing that you're aware of but like you have to maintain the integrity of your being as an individual and then make bridges to other autonomous individuals and uh, ideally all those people would shimmer and shine to their fullest potential um as opposed to being like a kind of an amorphous blob a kind of herd mentality yeah um that's the nightmare i yeah. I, th- I think we can find the, that balance um while offering our true selves you know yeah i think it's really interesting because it's like it's like we want you know like diversity and integration but then people also want to preserve their cultures and their peoples which is like segregation in a way oh yeah it's like like what do we want here like we want both but it's like you can't have both like we want to yeah we want both and it's there's no easy i deeply sympathize with all sides because there's no easy answer at all and like we're all we're all flailing in the dark for this solution um because we don't want some like weird monoculture that's um sponsored by amazon or something where it's like uh but we know that the ways of the past don't where they can't work in the present. So it's, yeah. it's always that act of becoming and being being and becoming where it's just like, um, they are almost contradictory states, but it's the, the problem of religion. And they, when they commissioned used, those people are overly focused on being and they don't, they have no interest in becoming. So they're just yeah. like, these yeah. are the, the traditions and I get that too, because if they become overly leaning towards becoming, they might just end up no. There's no differentiation. Wishy washy. Yeah. Yeah. There's just like another any other place, and their need the sacred is defined in some sense by the fact that it demands different behavior. You know, once you step into that space, you have different things. Even a library. It's like be yeah. quiet. That is dying. And that's one of the biggest tragedies, I think, that almost all of space is becoming profane and they're simply data points on a horizontal plane, you know, and mm-hmm. we suffer greatly. And so we're all trying to plant our flags and develop our own centers. Um, but there's great chaos there when it's, you know, just a cacophony of that kind of behavior with no unification. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like the unification just, like, comes with time and stuff. Um, Because, like, there's, I think, periods of things just getting scattered and rearranged and just chaos and dispersion. And then after a while, people crave some kind of stability and some kind of tradition, whether it's new or old. But it's like the facts are that, like, things that people used to do are simply, like, gone or forgotten. So it's like you have to adapt in some kind of way if you want to survive, like, if you want to keep that going. And so, like, I was thinking about how our bodies are, like, 70% water 
and I guess 30% other stuff or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, wh- why don't we like try to be more like 70% fluid and 30% like rigid or, or solid about something. And I don't know, like try to move that way or I don't know. Um, Cause I just like, I feel like, I don't know. I guess everyone has callings to that. I, I hear people returning to their roots more and returning to tradition and I feel like when they do that, it's still a different tradition, but still that tradition. Oh, yeah, it it's, can be a cartoon. But yeah. also, like, I understand why, because the world is evolving at a rapid pace and into a kind of who knows into what. And um, yeah, it's painful to not have, you know, as artists, we're lucky. It's a great mm-hmm. identity to be rooted in. Yeah. But I, I have great compassion for people who they don't have that i cannot completely understand why people latch on to these kind of superficial um, identifiers mm-hmm. you know it's just like they need something there is no god really in in modernity there's yeah. simply consumption um and i think capitalism has become like the the strongest anti-traditionalist like anything can be capitalism everything is capitalism and like it's so inclusive that it's like disgusting, you know. Yeah, it's um, it's like it's taking over invasively. It's, it's it judo flips everything in this really yeah. interesting sidestepping way. It, it can. It's fast. I don't know. I, I try not to. Yeah, go ahead. I, I'd say like in some ways there's positive things about it, but in in other For ways sure. there's like backhanded just like same same old shit that it ever was but just now you're now you're getting some money for it but it's not like enough <laughs> for you to be free basically yeah i don't have a clear uh, i'm i always try to be grateful for whatever i guess i view it this way like no matter what you're born into a system and uh-huh. and into conditions and i've seen people be grateful in horrible conditions i've seen the opposite in gratitude and in great conditions so my first step as I was getting older into maturation, I think was just, okay, gratitude for whatever I'm operating with right here. It's very important. So um, I'm certainly grateful for the opportunities capitalism provides me and the comforts. But, um, and there's, I certainly have criticisms of it. Um, but it's so massive and so fluid and so capable of commodifying even your dissatisfaction with it, that it, I almost have to step back in awe and respect, like, wow, it, it almost seems there's nothing it can't do in respect to commodification. Yeah, I guess, like, to me, though, like, the thing it doesn't do is here's my problem that I'm facing. Mm-hmm. I'm making these paintings now, and I think that there's no amount of money that they're worth. I'd rather just have this painting. Mm-hmm. And that's that. And and then, but I can't like buy groceries or do anything with these paintings because like it's not currency. People want money, and so like I don't know. There's just like this. There's just like breakdown of like like capital is so common and so fluid that it's like it's nothing, but it's also super valuable to do anything. Um, it just like cheapens relationships, in my opinion. Like it cheapens everyone's relationships with things. And that's to me, I guess the yeah, yeah. It, 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 
I'm grateful for all the all the comforts and all the advances of it. But it's like there has to be some kind of consequence for this amazing well, like <laughs> reality. Oh yeah, yeah. So like to me the consequence is like this emptiness of relationship. It's like we just don't know where it came from or how Sure, it, sure, sure. Like what, yeah, I mean what it is. It makes me very grateful to have a good family, friends, etc. Yeah. I try to cherish those things and I feel bad for people who don't have it because you need some respite from the transactional nature exactly. of capitalism. And yeah. and honestly that's why my relationship to God, I I really try to avoid any type of like um you know, when I was younger, prayer was like a form of if I do this, do I get that? Or can yes. I get that? I really avoid this. I think that's not even how you pray, honestly. I just think yeah. that's how a child considers Santa Claus or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so any type of um You know, and again, I, I think there's a beauty to having children because this isn't a product you can replace when it's obsolete. This isn't a product that um, you can return because it, it didn't quite have the the features you desired. Um, mm-hmm. More and more, I'm like, I want to understand capitalism. I want to create some level of freedom by doing business efficiently or something. But mm-hmm. I also want to carve out spaces that are way beyond that transcendently speaking um yeah totally and i I think go on no i was gonna say like like again that that idea of just like like even going to church although i think it's quite flaccid in america like Mm -hmm. i like that there's a key change like uh with my stepdaughter i'm like okay you this is where you're you have to be like quiet you know like this is Mm -hmm. a different different type of world yeah like when you leave you can while out but here there's like there, yeah no, that's all i mean like that that key change is important you know it's a good space yeah and it's like that's so hard to find these days i almost wonder if there's gonna be a, a part like i run an art center in over here too and like mm-hmm. I, I often wonder if like the next form of 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 like all retail stores will disappear and then there will just be these little attempts at sacred spaces, you know, like yeah. just places to gather because everyone doesn't go out to buy things because like drones drop them off. So logically my hope is like, we need to go back to like really sacred places where there's no Wi-Fi, no phones, etc. I think yeah. I'm being overly optimistic, but no, yeah, I'm trying. I'm with it though. That sounds great. I think about sometimes like places like Japan that have like just shrines all over the place and people like you want to meet at the butterfly shrine or something or meet me at the monkey shrine and there's like a yeah, thing yeah, yeah. You can like turn and like wish for and some ritual you can perform there that people have been performing there for thousands of years and I just like there's there's like a part of me that like um kind of wishes that people would understand the the polytheistic nature of of life like basically all all the brands and all the companies around us and corporations are basically like demigods or like types of gods that rule us absolutely and they have like a image also and they have like a a body and like even in the ancient greek times like the oracles or the gods that they would um worship 
they would just like pay homage to and there would be like advertisements for them everywhere and they'd pay and it's just like it's like all this other shit we do today <laughs> like starbucks it's just this goddess yeah. that we pay money to and we get to drink her her amazing juice or whatever well and, i don't know if it's amazing no, it's, well, no, it's no nectar <laughs> that's what they want you to that's what it's supposed to do but it's like yeah it's of course we don't that actual sacredness and that actual like nectar of the gods is not there it's just like mcdonald's but like it's it's it is in some way a huge larger than human entity that is being served by humans totally and worked and made bigger by humans so in some senses they're they're gods all over our our world that rule us and the big god which is the god that transcends like all these ideas is not being served <laughs> by when all these things are in attention more because it's just like it's just this gross material net of of thinking and imagining and of doing and that's the part that i think if we can actually just identify and talk about it more we can actually start to make choices about it more yeah you know it reminds me of being in japan with my friends and we were at a shrine and one of them went to buy incense mm -hmm. and this paints the picture for me. He picked one, and we were with someone who spoke Japanese, and she was translating, and she, and she was like, he's asking what it's for, you know? And my friend is like, uh, I don't know, it just smells good, you know? And, that, and she was like, well, usually these, like, have meaning, you know? Like, mm -hmm. you burn this incense because of this reason. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was just so funny, like... Uh, all of that stripped bare, you know, like just mm -hmm. an alien visitor just being like, well, it smells good. So I'll take that one. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel. That's how I think humanity has basically ended up this yeah. kind of like it's divorced from the root, from the fundamental understanding. Yeah. And that's kind of like what puts us in our condition where we just keep harming our environment because we just keep inventing without the full understanding of the consequences. And it's true. We don't get it. Yeah. We just don't get the relationship. It's, it's yeah. obfuscated. It's like, Oh, this will fix the problem. But it's like, do you know what made the problem happen in the first place though? <laughs> and it's like, that's the thing is like, they're not dealing with the root. They're dealing with the end of the problem. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, to me, it's like if this whole mentality and psychic activity can just be like, healed and amended and just like grown into the next phase where it's more mature and self-aware humanity has a chance to like live on this earth and to actually like have the so-called new earth experience but if if that is not had then yes you will have like total meltdown as there already is happening it's just like it's just a direction it's like what direction do you want to go yeah you know i almost have this view it's just like a poetic view that that in some way, I think nothing is wrong. Like, uh, mm -hmm. the beauty of humanity is the tension, is the, is the soul-crushing uh, folly, you know? Like, there's such great beauty, if you zoom out, mm -hmm. to, to what's going on. There's, uh, even if AI dominates and destroys us, or nuclear war, like, the, the Earth will recover and do its beautiful thing. Um, we will be gone. Narratively, it's a fascinating trajectory. I'm sure it's happened before, not with nukes, but yeah, like um, the Atlantean race. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, also, I, yeah, go ahead. Also, like, yeah, like, say we do turn this Earth into a, a moon, like into a dried out crater. <laughs> I, found, I heard that, that they discovered 10 billion super Earths in the Milky Way. So of course. There's all these other great planets like us. So it's like, basically, can we just not be parasitic? Can we be probiotic? And you can enjoy the the lifestyle of that. Or if it just gets overrun with parasites, then that's that, you know? End of the cabbage. There's always a lay, There's always a scale at which things become poetic again. It just comes down to how attached you are, you know? Yeah. And I don't think you should be always zooming out. Like, I think, I think yeah. I'm very grateful that in my 30s, I'm, like, much more, like, grounded because I used to zoom out, like, way too much, I think, mm-hmm. um, especially as a teenager. You know, you start thinking about, like, <laughs> I don't know, you get... You get to these weird, like you think about like starving kids in Africa and that can make you depressed for like a month or something. And yeah. you're neglecting like just being nice to the person next to you or your family. Yeah. Like that zooming out is a disservice at a certain point. Um, totally. But there's some great beauty to just being there, you know. Yeah. I think like to me, it's like if you are always present and always doing what is around you, then you're doing what you absolutely can do with your life, you know. I don't think you're supposed to extend yourself beyond your present and try to go somewhere where you don't belong and make that work. Like, I feel like everyone is is plugged in somewhere to do something. And yeah, like sometimes you have to travel or go somewhere else, but it's like we're all given immediate problems and conditions and situations. If you can somehow make that better than when you first got here, then that's, that's amazing. Exactly. You make, I always say you can move the needle like 0.001 in the good direction and die. And that's it. And that would be good. Yeah. Um, Anything else, you'll probably end up moving it 1% in the other direction through hubris and an overestimation of what you can do. Yeah. it's a weird little paradox, you know, it's not, it doesn't, it's not meant to inspire complacency, but yeah. I think, uh, well, you know what I mean. I heard um, a scientific study of vibrations of negative thoughts and positive thoughts. And apparently the energy that comes out of negative thoughts is very low and like doesn't register much. And then a positive thought is like thousands times stronger and harder and more vibrant and so, like, with that sort of idea and philosophy, as many other philosophies have had, just, like, the power of something positive is way more effective than sort of thousands of negative things. And I, oh, have, absolutely, yeah. I have a hopeful thought that if, say, so we have, like, 8 billion people on this planet, if, like, 8 billion people can just do a tiny good thing together, that's 8 billion nudges in that direction. That's That's probably enough to, like, get a boulder to start move or something. So those mountains, yeah. Yeah, it's like I feel like if if just the minds of of billions of people can start to be healed and affected, then yeah, it's like we could actually be in a really good thing. Like there's there's thousands of years in ancient history of of really good spiritual harmony. And um it's just like excessive materialism that sort of brought like big floods and big wars and all that all that shit. Yeah, it's the same shit. It's inevitable. Oh, over yeah. and again. Yeah. Constant. Yeah. But well, like- I got to go to bed. 
Right. Uh, yeah, I'm an old man now. It's ten. Wait, wait, what's your time zone? Are you at you at ten o'clock? Right? I'm actually on uh, Central. Ah. Yeah, it's only nine nine something. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but uh, I I see what you're saying. I agree, and uh, I just thought it was a good message to end on. I'm down with that. We've been going a good long time. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> yeah, it was a great talk. We didn't even really talk about uh, art that much, but you know, it's just the nature of the podcast. I think for me, um, this this pretty much covers everything that I want to talk about art. Um, That's true. It's not that fun to talk about art yeah, itself. There's not a lot happening for when I paint and all that. I could talk about the technicals of that, but it seems to be for another time. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was great talking. If you're ever in New Jersey, yeah, let me know. I don't know why you would be. Sometimes but, uh, I drive to New York, so sometimes I pass through. Right on. Well, thanks for having me on here, Michael. This is awesome. Yeah, it was great to meet you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna check back in about Gurdjieff. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on him. Yeah, that sounds sounds like something I'm gonna have to dive into really quick. I think you'll love it. There's honestly, he he created this choreographed dances that are. Like he believes are the highest form of art, and uh, yeah, I just I'm excited to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, that sounds awesome. All right. Well, cool. Have a good night. Thanks. You too, Michael. Bye bye. See ya. Thanks for tuning in. Music by Dory Bavarsky and Ming Chen. Next up, we have Patrick Kyle.